Welcome to another exciting episode of The NIDS View, a weekly show of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies, where we are advancing peace, promoting stability, and helping you to think deterrence. Each week, we discuss and analyze a recent topic and provide insight into how it affects our national deterrence. We hope you enjoy this show. Welcome back to the Nuclear View, what is the first episode of 2024. So thanks for joining us uh, on this episode. Now today... Hey, Happy New Year, Adam. I just want to wish you all Happy New Year. Oh yeah, same to you, Jim. Jim, thank you you very much. I'm looking forward to this new year and Happy New Year to you guys as well and to our audience. Especially the audience. Yeah, I mean, without the audience... There is no nuclear view. That's right. Or NIDS view. Yeah, that too. So uh, if we uh, were to go ahead and get started, uh, I mean, we had decided before uh, the show that we wanted to talk, look back to 2023 and what was sort of the most important, influential, standout deterrence event of the year. And then we decided we wanted to also make a, you know, a prediction of what something we think might happen in 2024. So why don't we take a round robin view and let's start with you, Curtis. So as you look back on, on 2023 and you think about all the many things that happened, what was that standout event or influential event for you? Well, thanks, Adam, and and uh, I just want to first start off by saying if you hear my voice sounding a little crackly, I am suffering um, from uh, over-celebrating over New Year's, uh, but uh, uh, but I beg your indulgence because I did not want to miss the first 2024 uh, episode here of the NIDS View. <clears throat> so 2023 was a very interesting year for anybody who's thinking about and studying deterrence and its influence in national security. And we all are going to get to choose our various ones. I am going to pick on two distinct items that particularly interested me. The first one, I would say uh, we're uh, quickly uh, arriving on its one-year anniversary. And that was the the effort of the Chinese uh, spy balloon. Uh, now, you might think, well, what does that have to do with deterrence? Um, well, we know a lot more now, 11 months later, since all of this happened. And there was a recent article here in December, right before Christmas, uh, that came out, um, I think from NBC news that had really, uh, caused some, you know, eyebrows to raise with regard to, uh, whether or not the federal government actually tried to, to conceal the, the arrival of the, of the, you know, two ton, Sta- uh, Statue of Liberty sized um, balloon. What balloon? Yeah, that balloon. And so <clears throat> I think what was interesting about this is a number of things. Now, as I, re- as I reflect, and I think as, as the nation reflects on this, what we saw here in this is, is a number of, of, of issues. We saw uh, General Van, uh, Van Herc, the, the commander of NORA Northcom, is basically saying, hey, we've got some some challenges here in our ability to to see long distances over the horizon that needs to be fixed. That is a big role in deterrence uh, in being able to, to survey and see what our adversaries might be uh, sending our way. 
Uh, they might not always be, um, you know, just balloons. Uh, and I think uh, while General Van Herc said that the, uh, the, the, the he wouldn't change how they handled it uh, within with the process, you know, and that sort of thing. Uh, he's still concerned about the, the gaps he refers to uh, and that we have been, you know, listening to for the last six months or so. I think what's interesting to know about this now that we look back is that <clears throat> President Biden didn't know about this thing until three days after it entered American uh, airspace, which is quite interesting. It flew, of course, for eight days. We know now that it was controlled, uh, had a control flight. It was powered. It had a lot of equipment on board. There's even some accusations I, you know, that some of it was even American-made. Uh, in order to do some of this, this stuff, the spying or whatever it is they were trying to collect. It's odd that something that was blown off course by the wind managed to fly over so many bases, including most, if not all, <laughs> of the missile fields and, and a lot of America's nuclear enterprise. It's just that's too coincidental uh, for that to be an uh, accident. At one point, there's reporting that, that the... The DOD says, hey, we prevented China from transmitting anything that they collected out. And then there's a contradictory reporting saying that China turned it off and, and, and stopped once it was discovered. So not quite sure um, how all that worked out and uh, who's, um, um, you know, sort of um, got the lead on that. But I think it's interesting here because what we saw was a violation of America's sovereignty and and we were in a failure of deterrence, uh, if you will, because China was unafraid uh, to allow what happened happen. Um, and what we saw in in response to this was almost nothing. It was reported in the very recent uh, meeting between President Xi and President Biden in San Francisco that the balloon episode never came up in the conversations. Uh and so there's still this uh, sort of fear, I think, of upsetting China uh, and making them uh, feel uncomfortable, if you will, um, about that. And, and I think that that is something that we're going to have to figure out. If we're going to be in an, in an era of great power competition, we're going to have to figure out how we're going to ruffle feathers and not be afraid um, of, some, um, you know, of some elbow bumping while we're doing that. Uh, and we must never, we must never uh, surrender our sovereignty in any way. Um, and forgiving these kinds of behaviors um, is is outrageous. I think is outrageous. I would wonder had the roles been reversed and America sent a balloon over China, how China would have reacted and what kind of accusations they would have made towards us. I fear now that they have uh, hyper mapped um, a lot of our uh, nuclear enterprise, um, and that these are pieces of information that uh, will contribute to the next thing that I want to bring up as one of the most uh, profound, I think, events of 2023. And that was a small portion. Cur oh, wait, Curtis, uh, Jim, you yeah, wanna... I just want to insert something because I said it before. I'll sure. say it again because I spent a little bit of time looking it up. So I'll first say the quote, never underestimate your adversary's low tech solution to your high tech problem. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, I had a little time over the break. I just wanted to highlight this. I looked it up and haven't found that quote anywhere. So I'm going to claim it here because it fits so well. <laughs> so, well, we've all, we've all heard it so much. So, um, <clears throat> I would say this, that, you know, the, the use of, a of, a of an inner atmosphere satellite, 
uh, is an inex- in- inexpensive low tech methodology to do high tech surveillance. Uh, and, um, uh, they might've, um, uh, gotten away with it. There was an accusation in that article, by the way, before I, I move on to the next one, that there was some deliberate desire to, to, uh, keep it, conceal the, the event. Now there's a, a report in that NBC article that there was never an intent to, uh, to keep this from Congress, but notice they never said from the American people, but the American people saw it and they reported it and it made the news and that sort of let the cat out of the bag. Right. So, um, this is, this is the kind of, of challenge that is now the next thing I want to bring up sort of fits right in line with this. And of course we all know that we've been following along with the, uh, you know, the 300 plus ICBM silos that China is building in the desert. And that is not what I'm bringing up here as my, as my, to do on this. But what I would say is because that's kind of old news at this point. But in October, um, the DOD annual report to Congress on Chinese military um, efforts um, was released. And um, and uh, Adam and I wrote a nice evaluative piece on that. And you can find that on globalsecurityreview.com uh, where we kind of re- review, um, you know, the things that the why it should concern or uh, uh, the American people. And the one item that I want to bring up that was sort of hidden in the text uh, is that of the 350 plus missile fields that the report admits are being built or some of those silos have now been filled with real missiles. And that has now been released. And it was just buried in this report. Now, I, I called it, Adam and I called it out in this article, but I, I think it was the second most interesting event of 2023 because what we basically have done is we've reported to Congress and to some extent the American people to say that there's a new threat against the United States, that there are new missiles sitting in silos pointed at us. And we're not going to tell the American people other than burying it in a report. And we're not going to talk about it for fear maybe that Congress might be, uh, you know, um, exercised enough that they'll want to throw money um, at the nuclear enterprise uh, in order to deter this kind of behavior, if not deter a, a, an attack. And so when you think about this, the spy balloon uh, pseudo satellite surveillance that occurred over our nuclear enterprise about 11 months ago, and then you combine that with these new missile silos that are now being populated with real ICBMs designed uh, for, for lack of a better term to target the United States and the American people. These this formula is starting to look bad. The answer to this formula is looking bad. And I'm just concerned that we're just, we, we as a nation don't seem to care. Um, or we're certainly not exercised enough about it um, other than the, the, the three of us. So uh, those are my, Adam, those are my two things that I wanted to point out as being uh, real game changers, I think, uh, for American deterrence uh, in 2023. Those are both excellent uh submissions for that i mean the balloon thing was sort of unexpected obviously i mean it was sort of one of those huh now how did you think that was going to pass without anybody noticing that that was sort of always and then you know isn't your surveillance satellite technology good enough that you can read license plates on the backs of cars like ours can Uh, so i you know i didn't really see the point of it but you know that that's just me maybe there's i'm sure there's something i don't know so uh, now your your other one that that one's concerning for sure. Now let me offer you my submission. All right for twenty twenty three. So my submission 
you know, for the sort of most memorable or perhaps one of the more influential, important things that happened, I would submit, is the Washington Declaration. Oh, that's a good one, Adam. The subsequent things that have happened. And, you know, this all started when President Yun of South Korea in January, you know, was giving a speech and he said, you know, we may need to go nuclear ourselves. And, of course, the the Biden administration, which is a staunch proponent of non-proliferation and arms control, said, oh, wait a second, that'd be very bad for our, you know, agenda. And they got to work very rapidly. And by April, uh, President Yun was in the United States. The Washington Declaration was, you know, was signed. And then, I guess, to the credit of the Biden administration, very shortly afterward, you had a ballistic missile submarine that showed up in a South Korean port. You've had General Cotton of U.S. Strategic Command has gone to South Korea. You've had, uh, I think, Secretary Austin's been there. You've had the first, I think we've had two meetings of the nuclear consultative group. And that nuclear consultative group is not the same, but has some similarities uh, to what we have in NATO, the nuclear planning group, the NPG. So there's a lot that's going on in terms of results of the Washington Declaration. My big concern is the South Koreans are are certainly because we're you know there's public opinion polls that the Asan Institute consistently does regularly throughout the year, and you know I've I've been working some projects on South Korea, and so the South Korean people are assured all of the effort that's been underway. They believe the Americans are committed. Now, would they still like an independent South Korean nuclear weapons program? I think there's a significant portion that do. Uh, would they like American, you know, tactical nuclear weapons returned to South Korea? There's a, you know, I would say probably more than half would like to see that. The majority of the South Korean public would like to see that. So we'll have to really look and see, particularly as, you know, as you look at uh, China becoming more bellicose towards Taiwan. You know, there was a on November the 6th, there was a this big anticipated meeting between uh, the Biden administration and the Chinese about arms control. It ended up essentially the the Chinese said we have no interest in arms control. Once we have a superior arsenal, maybe we'll think about it then. So give us a few years. And, you know, that worries the the South Koreans because the South Koreans believe with, with real sincerity that if a conflict between the United States and China kicks off, that the United States is going to be focused on Taiwan and defeating the Chinese and the South Koreans will largely be left to their own devices. And so they're you know, while they may think, hey, the Americans really mean what they say, but in a big fight, they're they're going to have no choice but to focus all their forces on that fight. And so what are we going to do then? And so that's sort of a long pole in the tent for 
the U.S. relationship with South Korea and deterring the North Koreans because the Chinese will undoubtedly have the freedom to invade the South, to take part of the South, to take some islands. You know, the Chinese will certainly want that because that will, you know, serve as a distraction for the Americans and will will prove problematic. So that, you know, that's a big thing. But we'll see how that ultimately turns out. And then, of course, for 2024, for 2024, this, you know, this one, I, you know, I, I don't know about y'all, but I thought through wait a, minute, wait a, minute, uh, a handful wait a of. Wait a minute. You're going to give. Pro, wait, we were saving progn- prognostication. Oh, we're not prognosticating half. yet. <laughs> oh, shoot. I, I thought we would. No, because Jim's got. Oh, go ahead, Jim. Part. I thought we I thought you had a prognost- prognostication yeah. already, Curtis. I guess. I guess I'm wrong. No, I gave uh, right, right, right. Okay, you go know, ahead. Jim. So, so first of all, you you gave one Adam, and that's what we discussed before the show. I've noticed that Curtis went ahead because he got to go first. Gave us two because he wanted to occupy the air. So I get the least piece here. So I'm going to look back at 2023. I got a couple of things. So first of all, I'm going to take Curtis' view. There are two things I remember from 2023 that were important. I want to I, I want to highlight to our audience. Episode 20 or episode 53, which was the last broadcast we had before we took our our break. And we had special guests, Steve Blank and Peter Husey, who joined us. And I want to highlight that Adam and Curtis, Adam, Adam hosted, Curtis was there. And whenever Adam or Curtis are not here, we always make note that one of them is either on assignment or out on a vacation, camping, or anything else. But I noticed that in that episode, neither one of them even highlighted the fact that A, <laughs> Jim Petrosky wasn't there, B, Jim Petrosky was on assignment, <laughs> C, Jim Petrosky was on vacation, none of those happened, Jim Petrosky died, Jim Petrosky quit, none of that. They didn't care, just like they did here. Now, I'm not bitter. But I just wanted to highlight that for our audience. Jim Petrosky <laughs> is here, and he will continue here through the year. So that's my first. Okay. I, you guys can't jump in now. It's, it's still mine. Okay. Second. And, 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 and as, I, uh, as I would highlight, I will use a Reagan thing. I paid for this, Mike. All right. So I'm here. All right. So now, now to get to the serious piece. So I believe in 2023, the highlighting event to me, and I'm going to sort of put a different twist on it maybe than, than some people have, was the horrific Hamas attack in Israel on October 7th. And it was horrific. The lives that were lost, the inhumane uh, way in which people were treated was absolutely terrible and was a highlight of something that is a lesson that's been relearned about a deterrence. Now, I know we talk about deterrence from, uh, you know, uh, uh, from nuclear deterrence, but this is a little bit different, but the same lesson. And that is that just weeks before the administration was saying, this is a peaceful Mideast. We don't have to worry about what's going on. And whenever peace breaks out, that's when we become vulnerable because we lose sight of the real interest of, unfortunately, humans who throughout the ages have wanted to dominate and cause harm to other people. And we see that in what happened there. 
And we can't lose sight of it because deterrence requires vigilance and persistence. And we've talked in previous episodes going back to 1992 when peace broke out around the world and the United States lost its foothold well ahead of our adversaries. We're paying that price now. And I believe we paid that price in the Middle East on October 7th. The same lesson learned again and again. And so my deterrence lesson, the biggest changing event in 2023, was the attacks from Hamas on Israel at that time. What a somber moment. We can't keep reliving that moment. We can't keep reliving that terrible accident that has come to our country because we will lose if we continue that. That's my piece. Good one. I, I like that. Of course, that was certainly for Israel. It's been the biggest event in several decades. So it's uh, certainly an excellent one, and it you know it points to the the inability to deter. Mm-hmm. So uh, now, let, if we turn to twenty twenty four, and I'll go back to you going first again, Curtis, as you think about your prognostication, your crystal ball, your, you know, I forget what, what you call them, the, the eight balls we had back in the day where you shake them around and then it tells you the answer to your question is, as you pull out your eight ball, Curtis, what, what is it telling you about 2024? I'm going to give you my 2024 prognostication here in just a moment. I want to add just one thought to Jim's poignant 2023 uh, look back. Uh, there was a great piece that came out last week uh, by uh, Clifford uh, Clifford May, and he wrote in his piece, so the piece is called uh, Restoring Deterrence. That should be America's most urgent task in the new year. It's a great piece. I posted it on Twitter, um, uh, Twitter X uh, for, um, from NIDS. Uh, and the one piece I want to leave here with, because it really supports uh, Jim's point here, is he says that peace is not the natural state of humankind. It can be achieved only when bellicose actors are deterred by a great power. Excellent. And so, so I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a great um, poignant uh, thought. Uh, so for 2024, <clears throat> you know, I think we, our rules of the, of this, of this engagement here was we're not going to talk about the election. Clearly the, the, the 2024 U S election for president uh, may or may not have an impact on how deterrence plays, but we're not going to talk about that. Uh, but what we are going to say is that or what I'm going to say here is uh, with regard to uh, what I think is going to happen in 2024 is I'm expecting that we will have Iran uh, and likely uh, South Korea will either become nuclear powers or will uh, making great strides towards becoming, they will make the decision to become nuclear powers in 2024. Uh, I, and the reason why I think, I, I think Iran is motivated uh, by a number of different things, uh, but we see this, this conflict uh, uh, proxy conflict with the U S and other allies um, going on uh, in support of the Hamas war with Israel. Uh, and so we see, I think that that's going to, uh, really energize uh, the Iranian leadership to sort of finish this task off. 
and the support of of Russia and China is is just going to encourage that to happen. Uh, with regard to South Korea, in addition to the the April presidential declaration that that Adam, uh, you know, rightly pointed out here is a moving issue for 2023. Uh, there was an effort, you know, uh, for the U.S. They had to go back to South Korea and do some more reassurance with uh, with Secretary of Defense Austin. Uh, and I think think I I tend to think that the South Koreans are not as assured. Uh, and I think there's going to be uh, great pressure and uh, and that the U.S. is just not going to be able uh, to prevent another nation who decides that they must act in their own best self-interest. And this could well be motivated if there is a test uh, in North Korea uh, or in China, uh, which are both possible, I think, in 2024 as well. Uh, so um, that's my uh, my guess uh, here for uh, 2024. Um, not good uh, things if you are someone who fears proliferation uh, and someone who is worried for more nuclear uh, capabilities. Iran uh, is a problem. I, I, I'm less worried about South Korea. Those are those are both, you know, because if if let's say Iran, this war continues and, you know, it, let's say it starts going badly for the Iranians, then if the Iranians were to finally complete a bomb and, you know, make it publicly known, that yeah. would set off a proliferation cascade. And, you know, you'd have right. the Saudis would go nuclear, the Turks would go nuclear, you know, it would set off a proliferation cascade. So that that's probably the worst case right. scenario. And, and it is one I fear for 2024. And so it's, you know, it's something that that I, I worry less about the South Koreans, but th- that because we're on the precipice, right? We're on the precipice right. of of the, the Iranians going nuclear, and so that that's a significant problem. So I'll use that. That that's mine as well. Yeah. You know, I'll change, but that's mine oh, as well. Okay, that's it, Adam. You're dittoing my twenty-four. That was it. You're just ditto. Is all you're going to say? Well, you know, I, well, I, I use the word proliferation cascade, so I think that's a significant. That is pretty cool. Yeah. So, cool. are we going to call it a participation cascade if it's South Korea though? South Korea and Japan, because if it's South Korea, it's yeah. Japan too. So, you've used the word prognosticate already and participate. Yeah. There's all these keywords you're using. It's just sort of an odd. Because I like to make the p, p-, p-, p- sound in yeah. the uh, in, in the microphone. microphone. Yeah. No, very interesting, Adam. So you turn it over to me now. Yeah, it's over to you. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, so in 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 the show prep, I have to let the audience know that Curtis figured I couldn't think in the future, so he tried to give me an answer ahead of time for my prognostication. So I thought I'd share with the audience. I was just <laughs> gently, gently nudging you <laughs> to consider. So, so maybe this will count as Curtis's number two. So. Curtis said, hey, Jim, why don't you talk about uh, there probably will be a nuclear test um, in, in 2024. So I want to go back and say we're testing. We're, we test nuclear weapons uh, quite often. We've got the national labs out there testing components and everything else without doing actual nuclear weapon on the ground tests. But I'm going to I'm going to throw a little a wrench to that and say, even if we're talking about, you know, Going out there and, and setting off a nuclear weapon on the surface or underground in, uh, in, in some location, I don't agree with that. I think the only country 
that benefits from an actual test is the United States to say, hey, we're serious. We'll do it and put order back into the disorder that's happening. Because if we did that, people would understand that not only do we have the capability, but we have the will to do so. And the problem is, I don't believe the United States will test it. Whether we're willing to use the, you know, employ nuclear weapons in a war, that's a different argument. But to test and show everybody is uh, that we're able to, we would benefit. The Chinese and the Russians, they can play the long game because they use their nuclear weapons as a tool to coerce, et cetera, all the time. They don't need to test. They actually would lose the advantage by testing openly. So that's my answer to Curtis on his nice nudge. So what do I predict is going to happen in 2024? Well, the number one thing that I think is important for 2024 is that we find our way in deterrence. And I believe that we're going to have a deterrence renaissance in 2024 because there's a think tank out there that is interested in <laughs> spreading awareness <laughs> of deterrence and the value of deterrence. And I know our listeners are willing to help us in that by listening to us and going out and speaking to their friends. And of course, I'm talking about NIDS and you would expect me in 2024 to expect that. But we are seriously about ready to grow uh, in leaps and bounds and make that awareness known. But in all seriousness, I think as a country, and we again, we see how we've sort of gotten away from knowing how things work and seeing the influence of other countries that can change the way we think by getting into our universities, by getting into our media, by getting into our television shows and getting us to sort of skew the way in which we understand freedom. I believe that, that it's, it's almost essential that this year, because we're at this precipice, that's the other word that Adam used, along with what he didn't use in talking about me was proboscis. But anyway, that's a completely different problem. All right. Now you're going to give us a definition. Yeah. Well, what, it's a type what, of beer. It's a beer <laughs> brand. Is. I thought yeah. it's a flower. So I'll let you, I'll let the audience look it up. But anyway, um, the, the point is that, uh, that we really need to, uh, we, we need to write ourselves in the way that we know. I don't want to make a nuclear advocate out of you. I don't want to make you a nuclear non-advocate. I just want you to know what's going on and then you'll make the right decision when you see how things operate. So that's, that's my prediction. And I think NIDS is going to be a big part of that. All right. Well, I certainly hope so. Uh, I'd like to just add one retort to that. <laughs> Good. So there's numerous, numerous um, uh, news reports, including New York Times and CNN, stating that uh, there's been construction going on around the Russian and Chinese test sites, new tunnels, new facilities. Um, and, of course, we know Russia just recently uh, sort of de-ratified uh, the Comprehensive Trust Ban Treaty that they had ratified. So... Uh, this could all be theater um, and deterrence um, uh, communication. I fully, adm I fully acknowledge that. I'm shaking my head that. for the audience not to see I, that. Yes, 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 he is. Um, but, um, but I would say that there's also a small chance um, that they are actually preparing. And I think when I think we're we're most at risk when we assume their adversary has altruistic desires and is not interested in in furthering its position i i think that's I, I think when we assume away 
capability and credibility of the adversary, we, we hurt ourselves. So just my, uh, my two cents on that, but I do agree with your position on where NIDS is going to be in all this for 2024. It's going to be an exciting year. It will be. Now, unfortunately, we are out of time. And as a drive time show, which we're the, we're the, you know, we're the leading nuclear focused podcast specifically designed to be listened to on the drive to work. We lead that category. And so we don't want to violate the trust of our listeners and go too long. So we want, we want to end it on as they're pulling in the parking lot. So let's go ahead and do that. So, of course, Curtis, Jim, thanks again for joining us on this episode. Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah. Yeah, Happy on, New Year. Looking forward to reaching all of you over the next 365-plus days. Well, I mean, we're reaching them now. That's right. Yeah. It's a leap year. So thanks, thanks for joining us. And, of course, thanks to you, the listeners, for joining us on this episode of The Nids View. And, of course, as always, thank Deterrence. Thank you for listening to The Nids View. This show is produced under the Nids Podcasting Network, a division of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies. Nids is a 501c3 organization dependent upon donations to provide this podcast and bring about awareness of the peacekeeping value of U.S. strength and our national deterrence. You can catch all of our podcasts or provide feedback at thinkdeterrence.com. I would like to thank our producer, Kimberly Charrington, our sponsors, and all the fantastic members of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies for making this podcast possible. Stay tuned next week for another exciting and informative The NIDS View.